Hey everybody out there in Keep Your Hat On Land, this is Andrew Scott, and I'm just jumping in here to say we're taking a week off. I just got out of the hospital last week. No big deal, we'll talk about it on the show coming up, but everything's fine, I'm healthy, all's good under the hood. But even though we're taking a week off, we're going to give you something to listen to. I have been uh, recently on the podcast, Who Makes a Podcast with Chris Coopley. And uh, just wanted to let you know about it and give you a little something to listen to. This was a really interesting discussion that Chris and I had about my background in broadcasting and voiceover work and the podcast and my book and a bunch of other interesting stuff. So have a listen, and KYHO will be back on May 6th with an all-new episode. But meanwhile, take care of your fellow man, wear your mask, get your booster shots, you know the drill, and always keep your hat on, because we may end up miles from here. Matter of fact, we may end up on a whole different podcast. Here's some of my interview with Chris. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. Andrew, welcome to Who Makes a Podcast. Thanks, Chris. Ha- thanks for having me here. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you about your podcast, about yourself as well. We connected on Reddit initially. You reached out yeah. to me. Um, we had we had kind of gone back and forth a little bit on a, another post that somebody had put up, and then you reached out to me. I'm a, a little bit familiar with you and with your podcast after that fact. I listened to a number of episodes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for myself and then for my listeners who don't know you, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and where you're from and and where you live now and how you got there? Yeah, sure. I am Andrew Scott. Full name is Andrew Scott Montgomery. My trade name, if we're going to call it that, is Andrew Scott. And uh, as you said, I'm a media producer. I uh, originally hail from southeastern Wisconsin, just north of Milwaukee. Uh, and, uh, I am really, uh, in the last seven or eight years, kind of reinvented myself. I have been everything from a machinist to a millwright to a DJ, uh, club DJ and second engineer in studios and a musician. I have had a long life of tiny careers that I have, uh, tended to be able to string together into something that actually kept my boat afloat. Um, but I, uh, as far as media production goes, uh, I run a small consultancy. It's myself and my partner. And as you said, I do professional audiobook narration, professional voiceovers. I do work on a number of YouTube channels, uh, including board film is my big one. So if you are into fighting, uh, martial arts, uh, MMA, boxing, football, a little bit of basketball. Um, Board Film does that, and I've been the voice of Board Film for a little bit over two years now. And uh, the podcast is, as you said, keep your hat on. It's a general interest show. It's me and three of my good close friends uh, just trying to give people a place to come and decompress and Listen to some talk that is compelling and interesting and funny and serious when it needs to be, but we're we're trying to be an oasis in a desert full of nasty things these days, and we're just trying to give people a place to come hang out and enjoy themselves. So you do 
professional voiceover work. How did you get into that? Is that something that has been on your your list of things as far as your mini careers go for a long time? Or is that one of the I've reinvented myself things? Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because it, it winds up being a bit of both. Um, I started out my audio my professional audio career. I was a home recordist back in the late eighties and early nineties. I was a rock and roll musician and a rock DJ and a club DJ. And so I'd always been dabbling with recording myself or recording me and my friends. And one of the things that we used to do back when we were building our first studio in one of my buddy's ba uh, parents' basements, when we didn't have anything to do, we just started recording fake like radio call-in shows and trying to emulate stingers and bumpers and station IDs from radio stations because it was a thing that we could record and we were all familiar with it. And I wound up being the guy that was always on mic being the host or the announcer. And this goes back to, I was, I was raised on radio. Radio was my first love. And listening to a small plastic transistor radio stuffed under my pillow... Uh, and listening to overnight DJs at the time when the classic idea of the 70s FM DJ was still a thing, where anybody could play what they wanted, album sides, deep cuts, things like that, and listening to the announcer and the announcer patter and the talk that you would get, particularly on the late night shows where the DJ had a lot more room. And I became fascinated with this idea of being an announcer, you know, anytime I heard a, a station ID, I would think there's somebody out there doing that, being paid to do that. And I kind of wanted to be that. And so as time went on and my careers changed, I was a web developer. That's what brought me out to the West Coast at the Millennium. It wound up being that I always still loved audio and I always did audio as a hobby. But really, what was kind of messing with me was the technology. Hard disks weren't fast enough to record really good audio. And, you know, back at the millennium, a, a microphone then cost a lot more than a good microphone does now. So there were a lot of things that were in my way. Yeah. And for your audience, I have a disability. I broke my neck when I was 15 years old, and I have some resultant paralysis. So my, my career options are a little bit more limited limited than other people's are. And I had been doing work for a long time, for about four years in telemarketing for arts nonprofits here. I live in Portland, Oregon, and uh, I was working for a number of arts nonprofits and I wound up losing one of those jobs. And I finally went, you know, I'm in my mid forties and I want to find something that I can do that I'm passionate about, that I find interesting, that I find rewarding personally and financially, you know, but I wanted to find something that I could do on my own and not be dependent on getting to an office or listening to a boss. The typical motivations why people want to be independent. Yeah, absolutely. Independently employed, you know. It's relatable. Yeah, and I always wanted to do voiceovers. And anytime I ever brought it up to a partner or a spouse or anybody in my life, they would always kind of go, yeah, right. And that's not a thing. And the, the classic, why don't you just get a real job? <laughs> and uh, I, I, I finally got pushed to the wall when I lost this job. And I went, you know what? Nobody else believes that I can do this. 
but I do. And I'd like to listen to myself for once. And so I just threw down. I literally had an, a beat up old MacBook that the keyboard didn't work. The trackpad didn't work anymore. I had to use an external keyboard and an external mouse. I went out and I got myself uh, a used blue snowball condenser mic for $20 off of Craigslist. Okay. And I went, I got nothing better to do with my time right now. I have a disused room in my basement. I'm just going to throw down and try this. And I'd done a little bit of it back in the day when I was a DJ. I had friends who were radio DJs in the Midwest. And I did get on mic and I did do a couple spots. They didn't really go anywhere, but... I knew I could do the thing. I knew I could get in front of a mic and deliver copy and put some intonation in it. And when that time came and I lost that job, I was like, I'm just going to try it. The worst that's going to happen is nothing. And I'm okay with nothing happening. And then I'll go out and get another job again. So with the severance money that I got from my position, I bought a bunch of mattress toppers and some, you know, sound equipment that almost worked. And within... Two weeks, I had done a spot uh, national PSA for a large governmental agency. Wow. I got, I got the job off of Craigslist. You know, somebody put really? up a call for it. Yeah. On Craigslist. For the first two years of my career, minus one job, all my work came through Craigslist. People would put up talent calls and I would send them an audition file and I started getting hired. That is not where I would have expected that to have started. It's not what most people would have expected. Yeah. But yeah, Craigslist for a long time was uh, quite a place to go and get voice work. It's not that much anymore with the rise of new um, independent gig worker sites like Upwork and uh, a bunch of others, Fiverr, Fiber, things, things like that. Yeah you wind up getting most of it there, but it still happens. And I still get the occasional job or two from Craigslist. But honestly, the the first two years of my career in voiceover was powered by Craigslist, either by way of jobs that I would get or gear that I would have to buy and I couldn't afford the new one. So I'd wait until I spotted a used one and go get that. And that's really where my voiceover career started and 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 grew from was just this I want to try and there's no harm in trying. Yeah. And you know, I I wound up proving everybody who told me I couldn't do this wrong and there's some great satisfaction and gratification that comes from that. Yeah, and you've you've taken this now to the point where you've actually written a book about it called the uh, the Quick and Dirty Guide to the Home Voiceover Industry. I have, yeah. When did you when did you write that? Why did you write it and and you know, who did you write it for? Well, first off, thanks, Pandemic, for giving me the time to sit down and write a book. Um, that's no small part of where it actually came from. I, uh, I had initially started writing a version of this book back in 2016, 17, I think it was. And I got too busy with my own business and wound up kind of just shelving it. And when the pandemic hit, uh, after the first uh, three months, I think it was probably February of 20, I went, you know what? I got to do this. This is in me and I got to get it out. I, uh, I have a lot of writing in my background. I have a minor in writing and literature. Um, and so I've been a writer as long as I've been almost anything else in my life. And I, I am one of those people that believes write what you know. And what I was really steeped in at the time was voice work and not only voice work, but specifically independent voice work, which is now 
a huge multi-million dollar a year industry. There are many people like me who are making uh, either a small living or a large living from doing professional voiceover work from home. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that technology has gotten better. It's, it's not only uh, financially possible, but completely and utterly technologically possible to record broadcast quality audio from your home. It's vastly more approachable than it used to be. Oh, absolutely. And that's really the approachability is one of the main reasons why I wrote the book. There's a ton of space in this industry for people to work at some level. And really what gets in people's way are simple Simple things, simple questions that could be answered if somebody simply took the time to do it. And I'm kind of by design uh, a teacher and an instructor. Uh, I, I did so when I was in industry. I did so when I was in technology. I was always the trainer. And really, this is this industry is the industry I know best. And so why not teach people how to take a stab at it? So what's what's in the book? Is it is it more of a a technical how-to, or is it kind of a a, a, a you can do it, and I I believe in you because because I've done it, or what kind of a book is it? It's more the latter, but really how I explain the book to people is that this is not a how-to book; it's a should I book. Okay, because there's there's a misconception that this is easy work. Now. I'm not carrying barbells to the attic or, you know, pulling a raccoon out of somebody's chimney. It, <laughs> so it's not hard work in that way. But it is a very intensive hustle that you have to do in order to make a living from this. And, you know, my, my living is small. I'm, I'm not rich by any stretch of the imagination. As I say in the book, I drive a beat-up 94 Ford Ranger pickup with a cracked windshield, but it's licensed, titled, and insured, and that's paid for by voiceover money. I wanted to take an opportunity to explain to people how I got in and the barriers that I found and overcame. And really, more than anything, I wanted to give people kind of a one sheet on, so you want to be a butcher. Like we used to get when we were in like middle school and you were dealing with a uh, career counselor oh, and yeah. they would give you the little test, you know, and then they would find out what you're interested in and then you'd get this. So you want to be a carpenter. This is what a carpenter does. And this is some of the tools they use. And this is how they go about getting into their career. Or more often than not, you cannot be a carpenter because you didn't answer these three questions correctly. Yeah, that, that could also be the case too. You're right. And what I wound up doing by way of approach is a general overview. Um, my, my, the way I explain it in the book is I'm going to draw a generally detailed picture but you're going to be the one coloring in the lines. You're going to choose the color, the shade, the intensity. I'm just putting those lines there so that you have some form. And the rest is up to you because that's the thing that, you know, and again, you and I uh, first uh, connected on Reddit, and I'm a pretty major presence on Reddit and a lot of the audiobook uh, and podcasting and voiceover groups. And I answer a lot of basic questions because I feel that people often don't start 
simply by fear of their first step being a mistake. I've noticed that. Yeah. And my thing is, uh, you know, the, the slogan of my life is sin boldly. Just do the thing. Try the thing. If, there, if nobody's going to wind up bloody at the end and you're not going to lose your shirt financially, which is a possibility in voiceover work, um, you know, if, if, if the, the barriers to entry are low but surpassable, just try it. Try it and do the thing because that's what's going to tell you whether or not this is for you. And that's the approach of the book was the first part of the book is really an overview of the voiceover industry and its history and a bit of a memoir treatment of how I got in because I'm a learner by way of storytelling. I like people giving me some background because when you stall out personally yourself and your approach, when you stall out, if you've got a model of somebody else who made it through, that tends to inspire me in, in, you know, the, the way of, as, as you said, when we were leading into this, um, I can, I did it. You can too, or not, but I don't want your not being able to do it be a result of lack of knowledge or lack of guidance. You have those two things. Generally speaking, most people are going to get some traction. There's a lot more room in this industry for people than... Do you have a, uh, a particular show or host that you look up to in any way when you're creating your podcast that you're trying to emulate? And initially, I write this question from the perspective of podcast, but I know you have a, a deep affection for talk radio and, and radio programs of the past. So, you know, feel free to include some of your uh, a radio host in there if you'd like. But, you know, who, who, are, you, who are you looking up to or, or trying to emulate, if, if anyone at all? Sure. Yeah. And I, I guess I'll bifurcate this answer a little bit in that, um, you know, again, I grew up on, on radio. And when it comes to announcers, I could list a ton of people that nobody outside of Southeastern Wisconsin had ever heard of. I guess that was the era when, when radio was truly a local thing. It was. Yeah, it absolutely was. And, um, you know, I'll give a shout out to anybody in Wisconsin who's listening, who's of my age, who's like a Gen X person, was ever into jazz. There was a gentleman that was uh, a, a jazz DJ. And his, his slot was always overnight. And his name was Ron Kuzner. He had an extraordinarily unique voice and a unique delivery. And his show was called The Dark Side. And it was on from midnight until 6 a.m. And he would come on and, This has been The Dark Side of Friday the 9th of January. But his, his voice was grating. But his passion for being on the mic and having a direct intimate connection between he and the listener was inspiring. And it set a model for me. Now, my approach to broadcasting, and I did some time on air back in the day in college radio. Um, my approach to broadcasting is wildly different from him. But the thing that I did take away from Ron Kuzner was you can establish a real, true significant, intimate relationship with your listener. And that really has informed a lot of the things that I've done in the recent past. When it comes to other broadcasters, 
For as much as I have had trouble with Howard Stern, I have a deep respect for Howard Stern. He's kind of a legend. Yeah, he's a legend, and he's an, another one of these voices that have really established the model that we go by. Um, you know, his ability to do an interview for wh whomever he's talking to, be it a porn star or a movie star, his ability to have a real substantial interview where you're not shying away from, you know, I mean, everybody knows that if Howard wants an answer out of you, Howard is going to beat you down until you give him the answer. But over the years, Stern himself has even softened and he's moved away from the shock jock thing. And he's gotten to a place where I have a lot better experience listening to him now because he's being more genuine. He's less concerned about and a lot of this has to do with his move off of terrestrial radio and, you know, onto satellite yep. where he's got more room and he doesn't have the constraints and he doesn't really have to worry about, you know, what the network bosses will think. And it was, it was interesting that his, for lack of a better term, his softening of approach happened in the last 10 or 12, 15 years, even after the controls had been taken off of him. And I think that's just Howard maturing to the point where he goes, maybe I got something more to say aside from Baba Booey. And I really appreciated being witness to that change in Stern. When it comes to podcasters, podcasting and broadcasting are now so closely related that it's hard to tell the two apart. I will always go and defer to really what I think is the granddaddy of podcasts, which isn't what most people think. They're going to think I'm going to say Joe Rogan or something like that. Honestly, I feel that the birth of podcast happened because of Ira Glass and This American Life. Yeah. Because that intimate approach to storytelling, and not only storytelling, I like to say it less storytelling and more story revealing. That's what This American Life did for broadcast. Letting people in, trusting that people have an hour's worth of attention span for something that's subtle, that's intimate, that takes time to lay out there for the listener and trust that the listener is going to come along for the ride. And one of the first broadcast radio shows that was repurposed as a podcast was This American Life. Uh, you know, I remember when NPR essentially took the floodgates off and put every episode, every back episode, they were already 10, 15 years in, and put all the This American Life episodes up as podcasts. Now, I had never listened to This American Life on the radio, or I, I don't know that I've ever actually listened to NPR on the radio, but This American Life as a podcast is one that I try to listen to almost every week. And there's a, a number of NPR shows that I listen to as podcasts mm -hmm. um, that are fantastic. Planet Money and uh, All Things Considered. There, there are so, so many of them. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a ton of them, and they're yeah, they're great. I can totally see how you would say that. You know, that is the uh, the beginning, I guess, of podcasting would be those types of radio shows, which you know the the crossover there between podcasting and and broadcasting definitely is prevalent. Yeah, that that line gets just smushed. Yeah, there's there's no real difference, and that really was also 
by way of content creation, that was an important landmark as well because it showed that large terrestrial broadcast networks can repurpose their content immediately by making it be more portable, more flexible by way of listening time. It's what everybody wanted from radio. You know, there's a, there's a joke. Radio on demand. Exactly. And there's a, there's a joke uh, that NPR uses. They have a, a little phrase called a driveway moment. And a driveway moment is when you're coming home from your commute, listening to an, a show on NPR, and it's so good, and you want to get to the end of the segment, but you just pulled into your driveway. And so you sit in your car for the next 12 minutes yeah. so that you can finish listening to it. And the driveway moment has kind of been, I don't know, it's been a little bit defeated because now you don't have to worry about that. You can just hit pause on whatever, you know, content streaming platform you're listening to it on and go inside and then Bluetooth it to your speakers in your house and finish listening in the comfort of your home. And then queue up the next episode. Exactly right. Yeah. And I think that that's a, a, a wonderful thing to have happened because it makes content more available and more relevant to more people, which at the end of the day is what a broadcaster wants. They don't want you to go away. They want you to finish the content because that's going to compel you to follow the content in the future. It's kind of what radio always wanted to be, but couldn't due to technology. And, you know, other broadcasters to be more dedicated to podcasting. You know, I listened to Joe Rogan for a while. Um, and, and in many ways I have respect for what he built. King of podcast controversy right now. Yeah, boy, is he, man, he (laughs) stepped in it. Good. Well, I shouldn't say that it actually, what I'll say is it actually caught up with him. Yeah. Because what he's really being hit on now is past behavior. Right. And I'm, I'm not here to judge people's behavior. I'm just saying that I listened to Joe because of the guests. He did have an ability to bring in very compelling people, you know, and that's the, the thing that's unarguable about Rogan is y- you, yeah, fine. You look at all the, uh, you look at all the hunters and boxers and MMA people that he's had on his show. That's fine. But there's also been people like Brian Cox, uh, the astrophysicists, Brian Green, the string theorists, Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, on and on and on. He's had some really compelling people on. And I, as a listener, I enjoy hearing a curious person investigating something that they don't know well, but want to know more of and asking questions of an expert. That I find very rewarding content and very entertaining. You know, I still, I'm a big backer of whom I think is, is the other titan of the beginnings of podcasting, and that's Mark Marin. Yep. WTF with Mark Marin. Exactly. And what I really like about Mark's approach is he leaves the ugly dirt in. When things are uncomfortable, he doesn't edit that away. He lets you see his humanity as a person, which often gets dialed back when you're doing a podcast. You want to come across as unflappable and completely professional and very polished. And nah, Mark is there to be Mark. And his work is as much um, self-analysis and self-improvement 
live on mic. And I like that and I respect that. And over my time of, you know, being a WTF listener, you know, hearing him go through his trials and travails and hearing him struggle with or his own perception of struggle in his career and thing, I find that to be a comfort. You know, we're in this together. And, you know, you can say what you want about Joe Rogan and all the, f- you know, famous people he's had on his podcast. Mark Marin had the sitting president of the United States in his garage with him <laughs> with snipers on the roofs of the houses across the street. Yeah. You know, and I think what Marin has done, I think at times it goes unheralded. He deserves a lot of credit for showing the world that this is a very viable way to inform and entertain people. And you can do it professionally with a little bit of polish, but you don't have to fake yourself and you don't have to step away from your humanity. And I, I, I have a deep amount of respect for that. Good company to be part of. I'd like to transition a little bit and talk about your podcast now. So why did you start your podcast and, and where does the name Keep Your Hat On come from? Well, I'll start with the last question first. So one of the other content follow, uh, content producers that I follow quite uh, regularly is Adam Savage, who used to be on Mythbusters. Mythbusters, yep. And, um, you know, after Mythbusters ended, he started up, well, actually he started it a little bit before, him and Jamie Heineman started a content channel called Tested. And I'm a, I'm a, uh, again, a former machinist, and I build things. I have a shop outside my studio here, and I build things of questionable utility and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and so I enjoy watching people make things or build things. And in one of his content offerings, I believe it was when he was still doing his podcast, which uh, has been out of production now for about about three years or so, he brought up a a memory that he had that coincides with a memory that I had, and it reawoke this memory. I'm a big, big fan of the late author Kurt Vonnegut. And Adam retold this story that I had forgotten I'd heard, where Vonnegut was asked what his favorite dirty joke was. And Vonnegut said, I can't remember the setup, but the punchline was, keep your hat on, we may end up miles from here. And I had been searching at that time. This was the beginning of the pandemic. And of course, you know, everybody's busy freaking out and washing their groceries with bleach. And I went, you know what? I've, and I, w- I had engineered a number of podcasts for clients of mine. And I was like, I should really throw down. This is the time to start doing this. And I had, I had attempted a few other offerings that were kind of like podcasts, but they were just me talking and I didn't find it particularly compelling. And I just said, you know what? I, I treated it like I treated my voiceover career. And I went, it's just time to do this thing and start. And if I fall on my face, no harm, no fall. So my business partner... I I said, look, I'm going to do this thing. I want you involved because I need another voice. And then I went, you know what would be good? It would be good if the announcer of it wasn't me. 
One of the people that I used to work with in the arts had a, has an absolutely phenomenal voice. And I'd always been bugging them to get into voiceover work. And uh, again, it was that thing of, well, I don't know how, I don't have the right stuff, blah, blah. And I was like... This is Michael the announcer? This is Michael our announcer, Mr. Okay. Brumage. And I just said, Michael, you're doing this, you're doing this with me. I'm sending you down a microphone kit, and I, thanks, Amazon. Um, and I got him down there, and I was like, it's time for you to start doing this. I'll walk you through it, I'll hold your hand. We're just doing this for fun, you know, but you'll get something out of it. And another one of my friends I brought in to it as well, my, my friend Ty, or Robert, and I said, we're doing this thing, come do this thing with us. I know that you've been interested in audio production for a long time, and let's do this. And we did the first episode, and it went well. But then I'm still in touch. I'm very close friends with my former philosophy, my background's philosophy. I was a philosophy major in college, which is really employable, by the way. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. but, Big market. Uh, yeah. I got a hold of uh, my old philosophy professor, and I said, Dr. Peterson, I'm doing this thing. Come on the show. And he came on the sec second episode, and he's been there since. And... The show is called Keep Your Hat On, and really, that's kind of the ethos of the show. It's four people getting together, talking about whatever, and we have no idea where we're going to end up. We always start with good intentions of trying to make a short episode and stay on topic, and it never works. It never, ever works. But we've, uh, we've done, we're into the third season. Our seasons are about a half a year long, between 10 and 12 episodes a season. And yeah, it's really our goal is to, as I said before, before we started recording, our, our goal is to just give people a place to come and listen to guys who are aware of their privilege, are aware of their place in the world, and are trying to be better human beings and explore topics that we either find interesting or that we find relevant and salient to the cultural conversation that we're having now. So your hosts are, you have four, three co-hosts with yourself. Uh, so yourself, Andrew Scott, Chris Vacano, Robert Anthony, Dr. Mark Peterson, and then you have Michael, the announcer. He's, uh, he's part of the show, but not really part of the show. He's, he is part of the show. He's actually a big part of the show because um, one of the things that I kind of wanted to emulate was that morning zoo <laughs> radio show that we all woke up with on FM radio as yep. we were getting ready to go to class. I wanted to present, and most of this is very tongue-in-cheek, we have decently high production values. You do, yeah. And I wanted to make it feel like, this is going to be a reference that some people are going to get and other people won't, and so I apologize for those who don't. I kind of wanted to make it feel a little bit like Fernwood Tonight, the, the, you know, the comical uh, interview show that wasn't really an interview show. It was done as a send-up of that whole talking head interview style show. I'll, pr I'll pretend that I'm one of the people that gets that reference. Right. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's a rather obscure television offering, but I wanted the show to appear like it's trying to be bigger than it is. And, you know, what lends immediate credibility to any production is some huge base... Some voiceover at the beginning. Sonorous voice, yeah. yeah. You know, and I, I'll cop to the fact that in other productions, I'm that voice. 
you know, but I didn't want it to be my voice. I wanted it to have that weight that, that outside voice presents. But at the same time, you know, when Michael and I are working together and I'm coming up with ideas of things to say that, you know, and I have Michael record the voiceover for the episode after the episode has been recorded so I can give him reference points of things to say, uh, for it. And I have him say some of the most absurd stuff there is. He has this incredible voice. And then to hear him swearing like a sailor <laughs> is this, you know, kind of, it's very, you know, this awkward feeling. And I, I find it funny. And our listeners have, have mentioned that they thoroughly enjoy that. And sometimes we'll, we'll use something. Michael will send me this big, long take where he's riffing on these ideas. And there's been a few times where I've taken some of the things that I didn't use in the intro of the show that were just these nuggets of hilarity and I'll Easter egg them in the back end of the episode. Um, because that's the kind of production I like. I, li I like I like things that are very self-referential -ref and often break the fourth wall. Um, and, uh, yeah, we've had a lot of fun with it. And um, there's uh, for people who are listening to your podcast, I really encourage you to jump in and listen to ours. Because yeah, absolutely. Our, our, our announcer, Michael, is going on an adventure. <laughs> and we're, uh, we're fully uh, ready to exploit his adventure for our own uh, our, our, our laughs. One of the things that he says in the intro of your podcast is a podcast by three nerdy nobodies and one nerdy kind of somebody. So who, yes. who is, who's the nerdy kind of somebody? Oh, I would have to give that to Dr. Mark Peterson. One okay. of us has got a PhD behind their names. And so he's <laughs> a little bit more of a somebody than we, we all record remotely. Um, me, uh, Robert, who's also, and I'll take this, uh, opportunity to explain I've never explained why I refer to Robert on the podcast often as Ty. Yeah, I was going to ask uh, you about that. <laughs> okay, well, I beat you to the punch. Um, Robert and I are, we, we met each other through, um, we're both practitioners of Soto Zen Buddhism. And Robert, his formal Buddhist name is Taijitsu. And I just shorthand him as Ty. But, uh, I've never explained that on the podcast. That's just one of those things where I think it's actually a little bit funnier that I didn't give an explanation for that. But he's got a, uh, we, the three of us, three of us have uh, Rode pod mics uh, okay. that we use. And we're all, you know, simply straight into our systems between the pod mic. And we, I think we all have Scarlet's at this point, uh, Focusrite Scarlet's. Yep. And uh, Dr. Peterson, I sent him, he's got a nice blue Yeti. We'll be upgrading him uh, once he gets settled into his new place. We'll be getting him a, a broadcast, a dynamic mic like we have to uh, equate sound. But we all record remotely. Uh, we use uh, an online recording service that allows us to see each other. Uh, initially, we did the podcast. We did Keep Your Hat On as a fully produced five camera show uh, on YouTube. And we love doing it. I'm very happy with the way it turned out, the way it looks. We still get some traction. People go and watch those episodes um, because, you know, one of the offerings that I have as a content creator is video editing and production. And what better way to demonstrate that than by doing a very high quality show. Um, you know, we aren't doing, we didn't do screaming, streaming capture then. We were all shooting in high resolution 1080p locally 
and then editing all that together. So I wanted to present something that looked more like a television show and not just a Zoom gathering, yep. you know, where everybody's, you know, it, the, I call that the Brady Bunch look where everybody's stacked on top of each other. You know, I mean, our stuff is all camera one, camera two, cuts, transitions, things like that. And it looked great. Were you using OBS for that or something else? No. Actually, what we were doing was we were recording all of us, minus Dr. Peterson, were recording locally on our phones okay. at 30 frames per second. And then you're just manually editing it? Yep. Oh, jeez. Okay. And yeah, it was a beast. It was, um, each episode took me about four days to produce. Um, because we would get two hours worth of recording that I would have to edit down. And then, you know, we were doing uh, inserts and visual stingers and transitions and, you know, uh, PSA spots and things like that. And it looked very glossy and I'm still very proud of it. But I just didn't have eight days a month to devote to something like that. It was it was starting to impede the rest of my business and I was falling behind on audiobook projects and it was just so we decided that we had faces for radio. Yeah. And we <laughs> just, you know, transitioned over to where we still have our episodes up and available on YouTube. Um, because interestingly, YouTube is the number one platform in the world for podcasts. It's also a huge search engine. It is the largest search engine on earth. One quarter of the population of the planet uses YouTube every day. And so, you know, we just put a redundant copy up with a little bit of video treatment uh, on YouTube, but have really just transitioned it over to, uh, you know, being a traditional podcast. And to get all the way back to your original question, the reason why we decided to do the podcast was because I was losing my mind. I was in lockdown and couldn't see my friends. Uh, the good news is I'm a pretty hardcore introvert. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't as much of a lift for me as it was for other people. But really, after about episode five, all of the participants of the show went, you know what? The world is on fire, but every time we do this, I feel better. And so we're just like, that's reason enough to keep doing this. And if people jump in and listen great if they don't at least i got to hang out with my friends for two hours that's a little bit why i started this podcast i've as soon as uh the pandemic hit i transitioned to a work from home role and mm -hmm. uh I, I haven't gone into the office but maybe a couple times and usually when i go in there there's nobody there uh, right so i mean i have we have been seeing our friends we haven't been nearly as isolated as we were maybe in in 2020 right this year but reaching out to to new people and speaking with other podcast creators such as yourself and such as the other people that I've had on this podcast has been honestly one of the more fulfilling things that I've been doing over the last four or five, six months. And it, it shouldn't really surprise me, but having that connection with somebody, even if it's just for an hour, hour and a half has been really uh, uh, invigorating. It reminds you that the world is bigger than just the room you're sitting in. Yeah, and yeah. then the people that you connect with on, on a daily basis. There's, there's more people out there. Exactly. And, and I, I think you're right in that, you know, you and I are doing this not in no small part because we're suffering through a pandemic and we went and we were looking for alternative channels of communication. I was not on Reddit until the pandemic. Yeah. I realized that I needed another avenue to be able to communicate to people with. And so that's how you and I connected. And that's why we're having this conversation. And I, I think if there was 
a message that I've been carrying through my media throughout this pandemic. It's that, yes, we're all suffering through this, but remember, there are ways where you can be connected and stay connected and not only stay connected, but make new connections that you might not have done if not for the fact that we are all having to deal with this. Yeah. And personally, my world interestingly has kind of expanded because of this situation. I'm in touch with more people. I've got more clients that I'm working for. I've met more friends. I'm coaching more people. And it's all because of where we find ourselves. Do I want us to stay here? No. But what I really want us to do is all row in the same direction so that when we come out of this, everybody is more connected than when we started. And if that's a byproduct of a terrible experience that we all have to go through, that's a ray of sunshine. And I want rays of sunshine. Yeah. It'd be great, it'd be great if, that's, if that's the way that it works out. No, it's for people like us to make sure that that happens. And your co-hosts, I think I have this right, did not know each other before you started, right? Nope, nope, exactly. They were all my friends, but hadn't met each other. Did you have any trouble convincing them to, to do this with you? None. Absolutely none at all. And I think part of that really also has to do with the pandemic. Uh, you know, again, I've known Dr. Peterson for over 30 years. There is no good reason why I should have stayed in touch with him, except for the fact that we were we were buddies and he took me under his wing when I was uh, a freshman in college and was my uh, my my academic mentor. And I'd always wanted to find something to do to bring Peterson in. He's a brilliant man. He's hilarious, completely and utterly inappropriate at times when decorum is called for, which is generally speaking what I think the world needs more of. But uh, he's uh, also, he is a true, truly great intellect. And, um, uh, you know, he's somebody that I, I've respected as an academic and as a writer. Everybody else, my partner, Chris, who is my business partner, is my current life partner's ex-husband and he lives down the street and he's part of my COVID bubble. You know, he, he and I decided cause he's a content creator as well. He's a web designer by trade. That's his business. And, uh, you know, generally speaking, when you see graphics, the thumbnails for our show on YouTube, those are done by him. He and I have, uh, we share a bunch of business and clients and my buddy, Robert, is somebody that I've known for, it's got to be about 15, 16 years now. Uh, and he and I are in the same Zen practice group, uh, the Zen community of Oregon. I knew that he was very interested in audio production and ties an interesting guy with interesting views. And I just said to everybody, look, I'm doing this thing. Come do this thing. Try this thing. And if you like this thing, come back and do the thing again. And that's pretty much how I crashed them all together. Nobody knew anybody until the first day we did it. And we've been doing it now for a year. It's awesome that it worked out so well. Yeah, it really did. And, and we look forward to doing it. Even if we think we don't look forward to doing it, as soon as we start doing a session again, we all start loosening up and feeling a little better. I've said this on the show a number of times, and I genuinely mean this, not in a disparaging way. I don't care if people listen. We're really doing that show for us and our mental health. And it's, it's paid us back in that way. 
we've all said to one degree or another, I feel better having done this. And so we're going to keep doing it and we're really letting it be, we're letting it grow organically. And I know that that's kind of a beat to death term, but it really is where I am with it. It's the truth most of the time. Yeah. And you know, and you know very well that there, there are a lot of options to try to get your podcast out there in front of people from paid SEO rankings to, um, you know, paying somebody to do social media for you and buying likes and things. I don't want to be disingenuous. If, if anything, one of our main tent poles of our podcast is we're being genuine with you. We are genuine people saying genuine things and we don't want to do that. Pay people to like us, man. That just makes me itch. Yeah. So we're letting it be what it is. Doesn't mean that I don't do social media. You can follow the keep your head on podcast on, on, uh, you know, most of the social or all the major social medias, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and we have our website, you know, kyhopodcast.com. And we're just letting it do its thing and letting it grow. And if people join in with us, that's awesome. And if people don't, that's okay too. It's, it's, it's really all right. Where I us. see podcasting going in the future is less of where podcasting is going and more of where traditional terrestrial broadcasting is going. Okay. Terrestrial broadcast is scared right now. They're losing listenership at a rate that we have not seen in the history of broadcasting. Up until 2010 or so, broadcast had not only been king, but had seen consistent growth since, honestly, since like Marconi, since the radio became a thing. And it's starting to slide now in, in all areas of broadcast. I mean, how much YouTube do you watch versus how much TV do you watch? How much how much Netflix? Yeah, the on-demand aspect is alluring for sure. It's not only alluring, it's valuable. It's marketable. It, it's a hook. You can pause this. You can come back to it at your convenience. And that combined with my leaning into this idea of narrowband broadcasting of don't worry about how many people are going to listen to you. If somebody wants to listen and you've got something to say, your voice is as valuable as Howard Stern's. Your voice is as valuable as Joe Rogan because somebody out there wants to hear you. And so this tight focus of topic combined with the ability to get it out in, into the wider world is an incredibly powerful thing. And so I see podcasting, you know, one of the things that's happening right now is terrestrial radio has gotten on board. Whether or not they wanted to get on board is one thing. They are on board now. And so, you know, like, like you and I were talking, how many, how many shows from NPR are immediately repurposed as podcasts? And not only repurposed, how many dedicated podcasts are large networks doing now? They're all trying to elbow their way in. Because they realize that people like Marin and Rogan, I mean, Rogan just got bought by Spotify for a hundred million dollars. Now, whether or not that was a wise business investment is, is a different discussion, but this is a real and viable industry. And 
not only is it a real and viable industry, it's one that the individual can get in on. And you're seeing all sorts of people getting into the business that wouldn't have had the opportunity before. Not only little people, but, you know, Dak Shepard. Yeah. You know, and whether or not you like his podcast is, is, is not truly relevant. I used to listen to it before it went Spotify exclusive. And I want to see more people doing this. I believe in the embarrassment of riches. I believe in the giant restaurant menu that allows you to choose from 80 different things because you're going to find something that's suited just for you. And when you do that, when you find a broadcaster or a content creator that you really jibe with, it feels magical. You really feel like your world has expanded a little bit, but at the same time, you've got a connection to something that almost feels like it was made just for you. And that's a fantastic feeling. And that's what makes me harken back nostalgically to being a young kid listening to the radio at two o'clock in the morning and hearing that guy say something and you learn something and it broadens your perspective and it changes your life in a tiny way, but it might be a tiny way that lasts the rest of your life. And that's what podcasting is doing now. And I only see it growing. I only see people becoming more creative. The big thing that's happening now, and I know you know this, Chris, is the, the, the resurgence of the audio drama where people are doing full cast recordings of things and they're creating their own 10, 12, 14, 20 episode arc of story. And it's fantastic. This goes back to radio dramas of the 30s and 40s. The War of the Worlds. Exactly. The War of the Worlds and The Shadow Knows. And, you know, a lot of it's happening in horror. Horror is really getting a lot of traction in the, you know, paranormal and all that. It's getting a lot of traction in the online streaming story world. And I think that's great because what creativity and stories are we hearing now that would have been kept quiet were not for the rise of the podcast and the ability for people to independently produce these things. For me, more is better. More choice is better. More offerings are better. Because there's going to be somebody in this industry, in this podcasting industry, that 20 years from now will be a huge name and will say, I got my start because of podcasting. And what would have happened were that not to have happened? That voice, that story, that thing that we all culturally refer to might not have happened. And so that's what gets me excited about the whole industry. I think that's a a fantastic place to leave this. Andrew, I've had a ton of fun talking to you. This has been a really insightful episode for myself and for my listeners I know you said that your podcast is on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and your website, and we'll have all of those links in my show notes. Is there anywhere else that you want to send people that they can connect with you? I think the best place to do it, if anybody has any questions, they can email me directly. They can email Andrew at andrewscottmedia.com. I'd be happy to, happy to answer any questions. But uh, yeah, jump in, follow, 
come hang out on the podcast, send us questions. You can always uh, participate in the podcast at uh, sending an email to uh, talkback at kyhopodcast.com. You can tell I talk for a living because I just screwed up my own brand name. (laughs) Uh, But uh, yeah, just uh, I'm happy to interface with anybody who's got a question. But Chris, it's uh, been an absolute treat to talk to you as well. And uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. You bet. Well, there you have it. That was a pretty sizable chunk of my interview that I did with Chris Cookley, the host of the Who Makes a Podcast podcast. We talked about a lot of other things, so I really do encourage you jump over to his website, whomakesapodcast.com, and listen to the whole episode. But until next time, I'm Andrew Scott, and we'll be back on May 8th with an all-new episode of our podcast, Keep Your Hat On, Do us a favor, like, click, and subscribe, and check the show notes for a link down to Chris's podcast in the event that that'll help you get to it. And as always, keep your hat on. We may end up miles from here. Take care, everybody. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. Well, there's a chunk of time you can't get back. From Portland, Oregon, this has been Keep Your Hat On, a big little show about a whole lot of nothing in particular. Keep Your Hat On is a narrowband broadcast network production in association with PodSquadPDX.com. Andrew Scott, executive producer. Robert Anthony and Chris Vacano, associate producers. Our theme music was written and produced by Andrew Scott, along with help from Ron Kajawa. Website design and maintenance by Vacano Creative, Chris Vacano Webmaster. Available at VacanoCreative.com. Audio and video production by Andrew Scott, available at andrewscottmedia.com. Got ideas or comments for the show? Email us at talkback at kyhopodcast.com. And don't forget to like, click, and subscribe. On behalf of the boys, I'm your announcer, Michael Brumage. Thanks for listening. Uh, I guess. NBBN. The Narrowband Broadcast Network. The focus is on you.